1 Corinthians 15, 9, the Apostle Paul, For I am the least of, all, of the apostles, that am not meet or worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In June of 2019, I, I taught on this kind of in an abbreviated form in ministerial advance. But I felt to speak on this subject tonight and I kind of spent some time fleshing this thought out. I want to speak to you on grace and grit. God bless you. You can be seated. Grace and grit. The Bible gives us balancing principles like faith and works. They are not enemies. They work in conjunction. Faith without works is dead. Often in churches, they will veer to a ditch on one side of the road between spirit and truth. They'll have powerful spirit and not much truth, or they'll have all truth and it will be a dead environment. You know here that we attempt to always strive for this and that as opposed to this or that. So it's not grace or grit. It is grace and grit. And in abbreviated form, grace is the strength of God that comes to us in our weakness. It is more than the unmerited favor of God. And grit is effort. And I'll drill deeper into these two ideas as we move along tonight about grace and grit. But these balancing principles in the Bible, it also creates some tension in our lives between what God does and what we do. What do we rely on the grace of God to do in us and for us? And what is God depending on in us to bring something to the table? What's the grit that we bring to God? Where does faith stop and works start? How do you balance spirit and truth in your personal life or in church life? And what is the role of grace and grit in serving God and doing ministry in the kingdom of God. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, that later gets into the resurrection of the dead, the Apostle Paul opens this passage talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he had taught them that it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he then transitions to speaking about who Jesus revealed himself to after his resurrection to Cephas, then the 12 to 500 brethren who were many of them still alive at that time, to James, all the apostles. And then Paul said, last of all, he appeared to me as one born out of due time. It's an interesting phrase that he uses there for one born out of due time. And then the apostle Paul in verse 9 on the screens, it says, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy, meet, to be called an apostle. And he gives the reason. Because I persecuted the church of God. You know, everyone has a past. Maybe except for you, right? But everyone has a past. And I've learned in serving people, that many people feel disqualified, unworthy, 
of doing anything for God because of their past. It may not be a past of deep immorality or crime or imprisonment, but all of us have something in our lives that we regret. We've all had failures in our lives, some more serious than others, because Satan's the accuser of the brethren and the sisters. Everyone struggles to believe that God can use them. Many people do. I shouldn't say everyone, but because of everyone's failures, many people struggle to believe that God can use them. And by the way, I want to pause right here to say that tonight my goal is to say something in hopes that God will do something during this message and at the conclusion of this Bible study tonight. I'm not saying something so that you'll go home better educated. I hope that happens. But I'm ministering tonight, praying that God will do something in our hearts that some grace and grit will strengthen our resolve in serving God. Frequently when Paul mentions God's grace, on his behalf, he talks about his past. Galatians, Philippians, and 1 Timothy. Uh, he names the sin that he felt should have been a deal breaker for him not being used of God. He said in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that he persecuted the church of God. How could God use someone who tried to destroy the church? When he was first converted, we know that he was rejected by the believers. They didn't believe that he had had a change of heart, that he had turned his life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he talks about this tension of grace and what I'm calling grit, and I'll break that down. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul said, whatever I do, whatever I am in my life, it is because of the grace of God that has been given to me in my life. But then he says that this grace that was given to me, that was bestowed on me, was not in vain. God did not waste grace on Paul. Paul said when God gave me his grace, I didn't just sit down and do nothing, but when God gave me something that I could not get myself, Paul said, I labored, same verse, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, Paul said, you know, when God gave me his grace, it was a pretty good investment. He didn't just throw it away. He didn't give it to someone who would do nothing with it. But Paul kind of brags, if you could say that. He said, I brought something to the table. I brought some grit to the grace of God and I worked harder than everyone else. Now, do you think Paul worked harder than the Apostle Peter or James and John? Was he saying that he worked harder than Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew? Was Paul saying that he worked harder than Matthew, James and Simon and Judas, the brother of James or Matthias, that 12th? apostle that was added he is he's saying those guys might have worked but I just want to tell you that even though I'm not worthy even though I'm less than all the other apostles even though he appeared to me as one born out of due time I want you to know that God did not waste his grace on me 
that I worked harder than everybody else. And then he said, yet not I. You know, he couldn't just leave it there and I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He's not just writing a novel or writing an autobiography or sharing a few thoughts. He is writing this by the inspiration of Scripture. And he introduces this idea of the balance of grace and grit when he gives credit to the grace of God that was with him. It was grace and my effort and then it was grace again that made it all work. It was not I but the grace of God that was with me. So I don't want you to be confused about the relationship between this grace and this grit. So what was the role of grace in the Apostle Paul's life? Now, many of you have heard me teach on grace before. If you look up a definition that many people give, they'll tell you that grace is the unmerited favor of God. But scripturally, grace is much more than that. Grace is power. Grace is the energy of God. I can show you in the scripture that it's one thing for God to have favor on you. It's another thing for Him to give power to you. Amen? And you could say that every time grace is a gift, cherish. It's a gift that God gives you in your life. When He does this, it is more than favor. Grace is multifaceted. It is more amazing than just His favor in your life. Grace, according to Titus, teaches us to live a holy life. Amen? Grace is strength, the Apostle Paul said, that comes to us in our weakness. And we'll look at that verse in 2 Corinthians 12 in this message tonight. Grace is God's part of the equation of what He does in our lives. And Paul said that I obtain mercy in spite of my persecution, in spite of being a blasphemer, in spite of being injurious. This is all 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 15. When, when Paul talks about his life before Christ and even though he blasphemed the Lord because he did it ignorantly in unbelief, God forgave him. And Paul said that the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And he said he did it in my life to be a pattern to show the mercy of God. So Paul said, I want everyone to know that I am a recipient of the amazing grace of God. I didn't deserve it, unworthy of it. But grace showed up in my life when I was the chiefest of sinners and the Lord saved me. Amen. And then there is this passage where Paul speaks of the thorn in his flesh. So, so we're going to talk about grace as strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations... There was given me, Paul said, a thorn in the flesh. And I taught on this just several months ago. I just want to bring out the, the, the aspect of grace here. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Three times, I don't believe in one day or one hour. But on three occasions, Paul said, you know, Lord, this is enough. I can't take it anymore. 
I know you've never said that. God, I can't take it anymore. And the Lord didn't say this back to Paul, but his answer in essence says, yes, you can. You can take it some more. Paul said, Lord, you've got to heal me. This is killing me. Heal me. And the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So I want you to see this correlation. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He's really giving us two really synonymous phrases. Grace is sufficient. Strength is made perfect in weakness. And the grace of God, this is what I taught on several months ago. I don't even remember the title of the message. That's not my point tonight. Is that grace does not flow to strength. Grace flows to weakness. When we confess our weakness to God and our need of God, that we become a candidate for the grace of God. That's why Paul could be saved when he was the chief of sinners because that's where grace goes. Grace goes to sin. Grace goes to weakness. When you are strong in yourself, you know, the Bible said be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't trust, the Bible said, in the, in the arm of the flesh. Whatever you bring to the table by itself, it is never enough. But grace comes flooding into your life when you desperately need it. Though Paul is clear in giving credit to the grace of God in his life for everything he was and everything he had done. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He's careful to not brag on his achievements without balancing those boasts by giving glory to Almighty God. He sees grace as the catalyst for his efforts. It's what gave him the strength to do what he did. But it seems that Paul is implying that sometimes God gives grace and it is a waste. Because the person that is a recipient of grace brings nothing to the table. Paul said... When God gave His grace to me, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't for nothing. For I took that gift of God's strength in my life, of deliverance, of salvation, of strength in my weakness, of the ability to endure the thorn in my flesh and all the other things He went through in His life. And He said, I brought something to the table that made my life different. I labored more abundantly than they are. I brought some grit to the occasion. So I want to talk about what Paul brought and what we must bring to our relationship with God. Because grace by itself will not help you. Grace will help you. Grace by itself is not the entire equation of you succeeding in living for God. So I'm using this word grit to kind of hopefully hook this message in your heart and your mind tonight. Grit is not a biblical word, but it's a biblical concept. Grit is unyielding courage. It is resolve in the face of hardship and danger. Grit is strength of character. Grit is tenacity. Grit is holding on, carrying on, and not giving up. And I believe that grit is what we have to bring to the table. 
It is desire. It is effort. It is determination that works hand in hand with the grace of God. And it takes both. Paul said, God gave me grace. I gave him a no-quit attitude. I brought some tenacity, some courage. I brought some grit to the table. I brought some effort. I labored more abundantly than they all. Grit is what we bring to the table. Now Paul was obviously a genius. But he didn't rely on his intellectual horsepower. He didn't just sit down like a giant amoeba. Say God has saved this blob. So I'm just going to kind of blob my way to heaven. Kind of sit back and coast on the grace of God. Grace. Saved by grace. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. But Paul said, you better bring something to the table too. Because when God gave me grace, I gave him grit. I gave him effort. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Well, let's talk about this grit, okay? He could talk philosophy with the Athenians on Mars Hill. He could quote their philosophers. So he had done his homework. It wasn't by the word of knowledge. It was by acquired knowledge. He could speak at least three languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, the common language of the day. He could not speak the language of the Laconians, according to Acts 14.11. He was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the leading theologian of his day. If you look carefully at Paul's life, you will discover that the secret of his success as a man of God, as a Christian, was a a combination of the grace of God and the grit that he brought to the table. 1 Corinthians 15.10, here it is again. I just want to highlight this one phrase. But I labored more abundantly than they all. I worked harder than everyone else. The New Living Translation says, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. All of those that I named again from Acts 1.13, if you want to know where that list was from. His life bore out his commitment. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he reached them by extensive travel all over the world. This was his grit. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul speaks about his efforts. He said, I was in labors more abundant. Journeys often. 2 Corinthians 11.27 He said, I lived a life of weariness, painfulness, watchings, which means sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, fasted all the time, often. He said, I was in cold and nakedness. Paul personally, according to what I can find, started at least 14 churches and possibly 20, plus all the churches that were started from those 14 churches to 20 churches that the Apostle Paul birthed himself. He is an apostle. He's one sent. He said, I chose to go where there was nothing. There was no foundation. I didn't want to go to a city where there was already a church. He did that and strengthened them. But Paul's calling was to go where there was nothing and leave a church behind. When he was in Corinth for 18 months, he worked a secular job. He was a bivocational church planter, 
birthing the church at Corinth with the help of Aquila and Priscilla. According to my studies, Paul traveled approximately 9,450 miles on three missionary journeys by foot, by horseback, and by boat. Some say that in his lifetime that he traveled over 13,000 miles. Not in a car, not in a plane. He wasn't a frequent flyer. He was a frequent walker. Not 5K, move the mission, old cheese for Christ. He went to the regions beyond. As an apostle, I mentioned, he didn't build on another man's foundation. And in his spare time, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament with his vast knowledge of the Old Testament. I was curious because I know Paul quotes the Old Testament often. So according to Bible.org, he quotes from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, at least 45 times in his writings. He quotes the prophets at least 53 times, Isaiah 36 times. He quotes from the Psalms 23 times in other books of the Old Testament at least 10 times. And there is no way he had all of those scrolls I know he asked for some books to be brought to him. There's no way Paul could have the massive quantity of scrolls. So standing there dictating many of his epistles, he could quote from memory the Old Testament and he could bring it to that moment. He didn't do that by the divine revelation of knowing that. There was the inspiration of the scripture, but there was sweat equity in studying the Bible so that when he preached and taught and quoted and wrote that he had something in him. He had some grit there. He brought something to the table that God could use that grace was not wasted in his life. Those 13 epistles contain some of the most brilliant writings, some of the most irrefutable deep theology in the entire Bible. The Apostle Peter even spoke about Paul's writings and he said that the Apostle Paul in his writings have said some things that are hard to understand. Now if the Apostle Peter would say that Paul writes things that are hard to wrap your brain around, he said some people twist them when they're unlearned and unstable, Paul was an amazing person. When he said that I labored more abundantly than they all, I hope you can understand a little better tonight that he was not exaggerating, he was not bragging, that he spent a lot of time preparing himself so that when God's grace came to him, that grit and grace together ignited a ministry that changed the world. He deemed God's grace too good, too precious, to waste it on laziness, on inactivity, on nothing. So Paul said, God gave me grace. He gifted me, but I did not rely on that incredible gifting that God gave me. The resources that I had being born a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I didn't just kind of rely on being born a Roman citizen, but I brought some grit to the table. It was an amazing combination of God's grace and my grit that made me a success. And I trusted all he said on the grace that God gave me. So let me give you a couple practical points here. Grace is a gift that you cannot give yourself. It comes from God, it is undeserved. And it is what God gives to you 
that will save you, deliver you, and strengthen you. Amen? It comes from God alone. And in the end, it is a gift of God's grace that makes you a success. Your brains and your brawn will only get you so far in life. But you have to bring the blood, the sweat, the tears, the discipline, the work ethic. You've got to bring something to the table. Amen? The Bible said that we are laborers together with God. And the last time I checked, labor means work. And if you're ever going to accomplish something or anything in your life or be a success in any facet of life, you've got to have the grace of God and you've got to have some grit, some determination and a work ethic and discipline. We spent a month talking about a disciple, right, of Jesus Christ, the making of a disciple. You've got to bring this grit, this courage, tenacity to endure and succeed and not quit. He wrote in Galatians to be not weary in well-doing. That's what we have to do is to not give up in adversity and rely on that grace to come help us when we cannot help ourselves. So I want to say very practically tonight that if you think that your God's gift to your school or your company or your church, think again. God brings the gift. But we need people who bring grit. Amen. You can talk in tongues all night long, but when you get up in the morning and go to school, you better study if you're going to succeed. Don't be relying on the gifts of the Spirit when you take a test this week. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, there's a word of wisdom. There's also acquired wisdom that you search for like hidden treasure and gold and silver and gems. There's the, there's the wisdom that you ask of God and He gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But it just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's acquired by the sweat equity of study and memorization and applying yourself. It's the grit that you bring to the table. The successful people that I know have both. They thank God that they are not self-made. They recognize the grace of God in their lives. But like Paul, they bring something to the table that they work harder than everybody else. Amen? When I enjoyed playing some softball, I had a hard time. I had to have an attitude check. When somebody hit the ball and they thought they were automatically out and they kind of Jog their way down to first base. I don't like that. Why not run it out? There can always be an error. God may intervene between the hit and the throw. You never know. Right? So why would you want to loaf your way through life and give a minimal effort when grace is looking for grit? Amen? And grace flows to grit. You've got to labor more abundantly than they all. What I'm saying is that apostolic, born again, Holy Ghost filled people should be the best students, the best workers, the best people in the world. We should bring more grit to the table than anybody else because we've been a recipient of grace. We thank God that he's empowering us. So now we provide the grit. 
talking about being dependable, faithful. You know, dependability is fulfilling what I agreed to do even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. If you rely on grace with no grit, you will one day wonder why you were passed over for the promotion, the award, the raise. And ultimately, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll wonder why your wood, hay, and stubble is burned up. It's because you didn't bring very much gold, silver, or precious stones to the table of what you did with your life because of the great grace of God that He invested in you. 1 Corinthians 3, if you want to study that passage about the judgment seat of Christ. I've often thought of the great people that I know. Not just the missionaries, but missionaries. And some saints of God that I have known in local churches who overcame tremendous adversity, who refused to make excuses, but instead made decisions. Because everyone's got an excuse. And even though you may have had a lot of hardships, abuse, and etc., etc., so has everyone else, maybe not as much as you, but you might be surprised, maybe a whole lot more. You can try to Count all the ways and all the reasons that you shouldn't succeed. But I can tell you that God will give you grace. He will help you overcome. He will help you succeed. And what He's asking us is to bring some grit to the occasion. Amen. If you come to church to always receive and never give, I think it's a mockery of the grace of God in our lives. So just think about this. It appears to me that grace is God's gift to you. And grit is your gift to God. Paul said, God gave me grace. I gave him grit. Paul gave me, God gave me grace. I gave him labor more abundantly than they all. So I want to open my heart to the grace of God. But then I want to stretch out my hand. In the Old Testament, you put your hand to the plow, you know, and and do something with the grace that God has given you. It's fascinating in this passage, verse 10 again, 1 Corinthians 15.10. That by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all. And then I like this, it's almost like, and I believe in the inspiration of Scripture every jot, tittle, every punctuation mark in the original languages. And then Paul backs up and says, yet not I. Does anybody think that I'm holding up my hand as the epitome of commitment and consecration? He said, even with everything I did, working harder than everyone else, it was not me by myself. It was the grace of God which was with me. It's not grace without grit. It is not grit without grace. It is the complement of our grit being empowered by God's grace.
See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul wrote that under the inspiration of the Spirit. He knew that you could wear yourself out working for God. That grit has limitations, but grace has none. And if you want to be in this for the long haul, if you don't want to be a flash in the pan, you know, like just you're here for a day and then gone somewhere, drifted out into nothingness and lost forever. And you've got to have the grace of God that renews you day by day. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I'm repeating this verse. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul basically was saying that when the tank of grit runs low, it is grace that refills me and renews me. So while being a disciple of Jesus Christ, I believe requires grace and grit, there is one quality that is expendable, that is great, grit. And there is one that is not, and that is grace. A couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, at the end of my message, the Lord, the Lord just moved in in a miraculous way. There was a tremendous presence of God. I've reflected on that and I've learned that time in God's presence is time to be strengthened and renewed. Whether it is in worship, private devotion, or corporately here. We bring grit, God brings grace. I want you to think about salvation for a moment. That when we first come to God, I believe God, the goodness of the Lord leads us and God reaches out to us. But I've observed this and it is scripturally sound that as soon as a person really repents of their sins, it releases the power of God into their lives. You know, no one says, I want to get well before I go to the hospital. Go to the hospital when you're sick. And you go to the cross of Jesus Christ when you're lost. Impossibly bound by sin. And as soon as you turn from your sins, then God releases grace to forgive, to deliver, to save you. You cannot do it on your own. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is a trigger that releases the grace of God into your life to save you. There's so many people that stubbornly hold back the grace of God. They won't humble themselves. They're too embarrassed or whatever the reason is for them to turn from their sins. But I've also learned about prayer. That there are some kinds of prayer that spend energy. Intercessory prayer. Doing spiritual warfare can wear you out. Amen? It subtracts from you. But there's a kind of prayer that we had a couple weeks ago at the end of service 
that I believe the Lord wants to do again this evening that is a restorative kind of prayer with God that is refreshing, that is renewing, that is like a gentle rain that comes in and gives life to parched ground. Amen. Isaiah 40, and I want to hurry to this. I believe that God has an inexhaustible supply of everything we need because He does not lose power when He gives power. Isaiah 40, 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, He fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching His understanding. He's not bound by time. He is everlasting. He doesn't get faint. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't run out of answers. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint, to the powerless. And to them that have no might, Almighty God increases strength. He gives strength to those who are weary and those who are weak. And then he tells us in verse 30, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. It's not just the older folk, right? Because grit is limited. And everyone gets tired. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's how you wait on the Lord. Waiting is not sitting around waiting for something to happen. Waiting is not serving God like a waiter at a restaurant. Waiting is admitting to God that we have no other source of help. God, whatever I bring to the table, I I can't do this. I'm bringing all the grit I've got, but Lord, I'm, I'm lost without you. To wait on Him is to declare that we have confidence in Him alone, that we're waiting on God to act, that we know that our action alone will not bring the answer. Waiting is not killing time. Waiting is a process of worship, I believe. In the Hebrew word, it is to replace or to exchange our worn out strength for His new strength. So while I've taught on grit tonight, Paul said, grace, grit, grace, right? I'd like for us to open our hearts, to wait on the Lord and open our hearts to Him, that by the grace of God, the Lord can bring His fullness, His power, His strength to us. So let's pray right now. Almighty God, I thank You for the insights of Your Word. Would you just lift up your voice and heart to the Lord? Lift up your voice to the Lord right now. Would you just say, Lord, I need you and I open my heart to you, Lord. And I want to worship you, God, tonight. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would let a dispensation of grace come to me. That you would give me, Lord, dispense to me the grace that I need, Lord. I'm committed to you, Lord. I want to bring everything I have to the table, Lord. I I don't want to be a lazy Christian, Lord. I, I don't want to just rely on what you can do and me bring nothing to this equation, Lord. 
But I confess, God, that on my best day, that I cannot do this alone, Lord, that I am not able in my own strength to generate the power and the strength to serve you, God, by my own efforts, Lord. I confess to you tonight that I am in need of you every day. I confess to you right now, Lord, that I desperately need you. I need your mercies to be new every morning. I need your grace to flow into my weakness. I need your strength, oh God, to come to me. That's it. Open your heart to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you get up in the morning, I pray that you'll bring some grit to the equation. But I felt that the way to end this message tonight was not with the challenge. There is a challenge. But I felt that the way that God wanted to end this night was that He wanted to give an infusion, a spiritual infusion of grace that comes from outside of yourself. It's not part of my notes, but let me just briefly say this. My wife's mother contracted a disease called acquired aplastic anemia. When she got that disease, her body quit making blood, blood products of any kind. So there was Mamaw, Virginia Strom, at the mercy of someone else's blood, someone else's plasma. So every other day, sometimes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, thank you to those who helped my wife four and a half years. Every other day, essentially, she was at Emory Infusion Center. And then every seven to 14 days or so, red blood. For something that had to come into her that she cannot generate in herself. We can bring some grit to the table, but only God can give us grace. It comes from outside ourselves, but it flows into us and gives us strength that we do not have. 